The average person will try 126 fad diets over the course of their lifetime, according to a 2020 poll by The Independent UK. But what if cooking healthy was easy? This is Yoma's Cooking Cast. You're listening to Yoma's Cooking Cast, a podcast dedicated to teaching home cooks how to improve their skills in the kitchen and share a mutual appreciation for food. Welcome to Yoma's Cooking Cast. My name is James Yoma. And I'm Andre Fernandez. Today's guest, Allison Knott, is a registered dietitian and board certified specialist in sports dietetics based in New York City. She spent most of her career working alongside chefs in the food and beverage industry. Despite not having any formal culinary training, Allison is comfortable in the home kitchen and regu- regularly shares healthy recipes on social media and with her clients. She's anti-meal prep and takes a realistic approach to making healthy eating work for busy schedules. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are super excited to have you here. Yeah, so fun. This is my favorite topic is food, so any chance I get to talk about it is a good one. It's ours too. Yeah, I mean, the whole show thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, good, it's a good thing that you have this the show. <laughs> so... Uh, coming into the new year, I think the biggest trend with most people is this, the, diet, the diet side of things, what a diet they're going to start. And you know, based on this independent uh, UK poll, 126 fat diets are tried over a lifetime, which at first I was like, that's crazy. But at the same time, I, that's pretty believable because I'm very guilty of that myself. Uh, I think healthy cooking for most people is a little skewed and I, uh, your perspective on it has been um, by working with you for so long has been um, really great. I think you have a really great approach to it. Yeah, I can't, I was just trying to do the quick math on that. That's more than one fad diet a year, probably for most people. That's yeah, the average is two and I'm assuming yeah. people start their fad diets, you know, later on in their life, like in their, you know, twenties. <laughs> yeah. well, remember you, you start a South beach diet and then you roll into keto and then <laughs> Somewhere around like your third stick of butter that you're rolling a piece of salami in. Like it probably doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Fad diets. I'm telling you, they, it's definitely um, one of the consistent trends throughout my career has been the continuation of fad diets being so popular. Everybody is interested in them because of this promise of quick results. And January is the month to make it happen. Um, I, I just, I think everybody around this time of year too is kind of gearing up for that diet that's going to start in January. And they're really kind of thinking about what is it that I want to do? And also simultaneously, probably just ignoring everything else this time of year, you know, how they feel, the foods that they're choosing, any of that, and just saying, well, I'll think about it in January, which is just, an, in my opinion, not the way to approach it because it's it's not sustainable you read my you just read my mind i was uh, thinking that i think yesterday i was like ah these cookies are delicious i'll wait till january i I literally said yolo (laughs) yesterday and ate like a block of salami so i get it yeah i mean and i like i will always say that we should be enjoying our food but i definitely think that we somehow have this either or mentality about this so it's either we are eating a block of salami or we are you know on an extreme diet that is 
you know, restrictive and we can never eat salami again. Or either we're eating these cookies or we're not and we'll never eat cookies again. So we start January 1st and we're saying, I'm never going to eat a cookie again, which is the most outrageous thing that any human being could say. I don't know a single person who doesn't like cookies. And James, you probably are not going to be that person either, where you could say on January 1st, I'm never going to eat a cookie again and actually do it, right? Well, it's I unrealistic. Don't, yeah. I don't commit sins, so I don't say that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think we set ourselves up for this. <laughs> I'll be lucky if I make it past my coffee on yeah. <laughs> on Saturday morning. <laughs> so the, the other part of that poll is not only are people doing 126 fat diets in their lifetime, but the fat diet only lasts on average six days and then oh. they stop. Um, and I'm guilty of it myself. I, I can't stress it enough how many times I'm like, yeah, I'm going to start doing this. And then uh, six days is pretty long. Day three, I'm like, well, eh, that pizza looks great, you know, but again, I'm <laughs> telling myself not to eat something. And I think a lot of the people that we, we know, think the same way. I, I put a little poll on social media the other day and I said, you know, what does healthy look like healthy cooking look like to you? And some people, one person said it, it looks lame. That's what, that was the, his response. <laughs> well, I'm glad that they provided tons of context for that. That's yeah. what somebody said, not eating a whole pizza in one sitting. I think that was you, Andre. That's probably true. <laughs> And we have people saying things like sacrificing indulgences, uh, no longer enjoying real Mexican food. So it's, it seems like this idea of neglecting what you like to force yourself in a, a, a way to eat healthier meals. And, and, but, but what is healthier meals? Is it you know, portion? Is it size? Is it the product itself? Yeah, well, I would expect that anyone who thinks that that's the definition of healthy eating is never going to feel like they've achieved that in their lifetime. If you can never eat, you know, sacrificing indulgences, I think is the word you said, which is actually, the, it's just a really depressing way to think about healthy food. I'm going to sacrifice indulgences. That is so sad. I really would expect that people should and can find a way to not feel like they're sacrificing any aspect of how they eat just because they're eating or choosing to eat healthier foods. Um, unfortunately, and James, you are a chef, so hopefully you can back me up on this. I think there's this idea that healthy food tastes bad. There's the phrase that I remember hearing very early on when I started studying nutrition, if it tastes good, spit it out because it must be bad for you. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> I've, and heard that of, is yeah, just, I've heard versions of that, yes. It is just so unfortunate. And it's, but that's what people believe. They believe that if it tastes good, it must be bad for you. And healthy mm -hmm. food can never taste good. So therefore, if you're going to eat healthy, then you are probably going to have crappy tasting food. Those people have never tried a sauteed onion before because it's so good. There's so many great things about cooking that can really enhance the flavor of foods without it necessarily being quote unquote unhealthy or bad, right? So that's what I hope that I could teach somebody. If I can teach at least one person that in my entire career, then I will be happy because it's um, absolutely necessary. It's the only way that you can succeed in this, in my opinion, is to have good tasting food. Yeah, and given um, our experience working together, I think it was easier to hone in that healthy cooking can taste good in the industry because we had to for, for young athletes. And um, that was a challenge in a way because not only do you have to learn that 
delicious food can be healthy. Uh, but then we also have to convince the person that's been eating McDonald's for, you know, their whole entire childhood and their grandma's fried chicken that, you know, here's an, here's an idea, here's a twist on what you know that could be a little bit better uh, without all the fat and all the tra- uh, saturated fat. Yeah, and I would also emphasize that healthy eating isn't, it isn't that either or. You can have a combination of the two. And I talk personally in my counseling life with others uh, about nutrition. I talk a lot about eating patterns and what you do the majority of the time over the course of your life is what actually has an impact on your health. So if you were eating fried foods every single day for every meal, then your eating pattern consists majority, the majority of fried foods, right? It's going to be mostly fried and that's not necessarily beneficial for our health. So that doesn't mean that we can't also incorporate fried things if we enjoy them, but in a combination with other foods that aren't as high in fat or high in saturated fat and create this eating pattern over time that actually uh, supports a healthy lifestyle and supports this year long-term health goals while still having those enjoyable foods as part of the diet, just not necessarily the majority of the diet. Um, But I think, you know, finding that place is really challenging for people because it is really easy to have the rules and like you draw this line in the sand and say, I'll eat this and I won't eat that. And so it's easy, I think, and that's why these fad diets are so successful. Well, successful in the sense of continuing to come up every single year, not successful in the sense that people actually continue to do them, but more like it's appealing because it has, there's these very clear lines and rules and you know exactly what you can and can't do versus having this sort of fluidity about your way of eating that allows for you to be a human being and actually enjoy your food as well as eat healthier foods that support your goals long-term. So if these these fad diets worked that we wouldn't have 42% of the U S being obese, right? Yeah. Well, and I think there's so much that goes into um, health, right? It's not necessarily just about what you eat in, especially when it comes to weight, there's, your impact on um, just the environment you live in, the access you have to foods, the availability, your resources, you know, financial pieces, social stress. There's so many different factors that impact our total health. We can't narrow it down just to food alone, but I will say with full confidence that fad diets are not helping. (laughs) They're not making this problem better. They um, are definitely, it's like putting Uh, fuel on the flame sort of scenario. So I I think, unfortunately, there are negative health outcomes when, or there's an association with negative health outcomes, I should say, when you have this kind of up and down in weight, when you're doing these yo-yo diets, and it can be um, detrimental, it can have an impact on your food, uh, just how you think about food, your health, your physical health, Um, the stress you have around food. So there's a lot of uh, reasons why you want to avoid that kind of yo-yo dieting. And it's definitely beneficial to put the work in uh, before you consider going on some crazy diet to try to like actually figure out, okay, what does this look like for me long-term? How am I, what happens after this diet is over? Most of the time people don't have an answer to that, which is how we end up like bouncing back and forth between extremes because we it's hard to find that gray area or that middle, that middle ground that um, 
really has the long-term sustainable impact. I also yeah. doubt that uh, Netflix has probably not made us more active. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. I know this year has been weird too. So everybody's routines have been disrupted and, you know, it's challenging right now to continue with healthy behaviors. It's really high stress. If you're not stressed this year, it's likely that uh, you must have really great stress management techniques or something because there is a lot going on and a lot to process. And I think that has had a significant impact on people as well. And, you know, people are not as active as they usually are, maybe watching a little bit more Netflix. There's a lot of good shows on Netflix right now, though. Very thankful for Netflix. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so someone who wants to change their perspective on healthy cooking, you know, coming from someone like myself who, and the people that have that took the poll that think you have to negate certain things and you have to focus on the strict regimen. Uh, how do you change the perception of healthy cooking? Not necessarily healthy eating, um, but you know, how do we get to the point of healthy cooking? I think it starts with not being afraid to experiment in the kitchen. I, I have said, and I know you did in the intro, you said that I don't have any culinary training and I don't. I went through dietetic internship and I had food service rotations, which are a part of that internship, but I was never uh, professionally trained as a, in culinary aspects. I remember um, being asked because I was studying nutrition, like, did I know how to just make cakes, cakes from scratch just because I knew it out of just knowledge that I was learning in nutrition. I was like, no, I, I don't know how to make a cake from scratch, but I could tell you what's in the cake and how that is going to potentially impact your health. Um, so I don't have this culinary training. So I spent a lot of time actually early on when I was experimenting in the kitchen, messing up a lot of stuff. I mean, I have done some really ridiculous things like caught toast on fire, burnt wooden spoons. I've melted appliances. I have old roommates from when I was in grad school who can attest to this, that I was, it was like comical, the amount of stuff that I messed up. And I think that that just being willing to continue to try and try and screw things up and eat food that wasn't necessarily good because I just didn't know what I was doing is the only reason that now, like 15 years later, I'm actually comfortable cooking. And I still screw things up, don't get me wrong, but I, on the majority of the time, I'd say I can, I, can, I can do the thing that needs to be done to make something that tastes good. So I think the very first step is like, don't be afraid in the kitchen. Like, just try to get in there and do at least one thing that you, maybe you're reading a recipe, maybe you've gotten a tip from an expert chef from the Yoma's cooking cast, you know, maybe that there's something that you are trying to experiment with that you saw in the Today Show or whatever, but just don't be afraid of it is probably the first thing. Can I share a secret with you? Yes. I screw up cooking all the time. I just don't tell people. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's good to know actually. Yeah. So, um, a couple of, uh, probably a year and a half ago, I made non bread and it was, um, really tough and really chewy. And I was like, this is, I've had non-bread. This is not the right texture. And I followed this recipe and, um, and I put it away for a while, the idea of it. And then recently I was like, you know what? I really screwed up that non-bread. I, I got to try it again and try and perfect it. Um, I made it a second time and I screwed it up then too. Uh, 
it, you know, different, different issue what I had. I used the wrong yogurt. I used low fat yogurt for some reason. Uh, I thought it was regular yogurt, but you could taste the difference. And I was like, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't what I want. So then I made it a third time and it was perfect. Then I made it a fourth time to make it the same. And I started giving it, I gave it to my neighbor. I gave it to my mom. I gave it to my brother-in-law. Um, but yeah, you know, I think going, getting in the kitchen, even whether you're an, ex, an expert chef or you're not, it, it's going to, you're not going to be perfect. And especially if you don't know something, you have to basically teach yourself in a way um, how to, how to cook it and trial and error is the key way to get to that point. Well, you both give me a lot of confidence because I still screw up stuff all the time. The downside is whenever I screw something up, I usually take a photo and send it to James and go, how did I f this up so bad? Um, but in those instances that I've really just, I mean, knocked out of the park, same thing. I'll send a photo of, you know, I, I cooked chicken thighs the other day and said the cast iron pan, but I'm finally getting, I'm finally perfecting this to the point where every single time it's consistently good. And I, I mean, how many text messages did I send you, James? Going, I can't believe how good this is. This is incredible. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, the baby's eating it. Shannon loves it. I'm like, I can't believe how good this is. And then I said, well, I need the next three hours to oil and, and essentially massage my pan. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. you haven't heard, and in a later episode, I talk about the, the struggles of owning a cast iron pan, which are oh, almost I as labor intensive. I have one. I've used it once. I set the smoke alarm off in the apartment because of it, and I haven't used it since. I do it weekly. Of it. Yeah, yeah. I set it's incredible. Alarm off like every other every other week or so. I have a fear that I'm going to set the smoke alarm off, and then it's going to set off the sprinklers throughout the building because. So I just get so scared that I just refuse to use it. <laughs> <laughs> if I can give you any advice, having actually cooked something correctly in my cast iron pan, it might be worth it. I'm not kidding, because I mean, I, I just. It's I don't eight. know if sprinklers throughout the building is worth it, but I'll, I'll try. But if I do it, then I'm, you're liable. <laughs> That's fine. Well, we'll, uh, we'll take a, we'll get a GoFundMe account going. Okay. Both perfect. listeners that listen. It's all we'll... for the cast iron fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it really is. It's, it's a, it's a great tool. And I mean, the biggest thing I've figured out is using a lower heat. You know, that, that was my problem. I'm using it like a Teflon pan. So I've got everything just like ripping hot and I throw something in it and all of a sudden it's like, you know, my house looks like a chemistry experiment gone wrong. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting to thinking about something like a cast iron pan, because one part about not being culinary trained is that you get intimidated by equipment. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? And I also, I think that intimidation prevents people from wanting to try some new recipes and I feel the same way about certain ingredients too. So there's still some things. I mean, I remember when I first started cooking soup for some reason was the most intimidating, bizarre thing to me because I could not comprehend how you, it, because I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I couldn't see what ingredients were in it. It wasn't like a plate of like chicken and broccoli and a, you know a grain right it was it's all in combination so those types of those types of uh recipes really intimidated me because i couldn't figure out how to do it on my own just with what i had and it turns out soup is actually one of the easiest things that you could you can make once you get the ratios and you understand you know what goes into it but i think all of those kind of demystifying some of that stuff demystifying the equipment knowing what you actually need to be successful, which honestly is not a lot of fancy equipment. 
and then also really understanding some of the basics of components of foods that are like go-tos then you can start to figure out what is it that you can modify what is it that you can't modify i remember working with a chef and it wasn't james but I could imagine what? James doing this. <laughs> 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 I remember one chef saying, this isn't baking, it's cooking. We have a lot of flexibility when we're cooking. With baking, you don't have a lot of flexibi flexibility. Like you have to follow and measure things properly or something's not gonna rise or it's gonna do something weird, which, you know, I've eaten my fair share of flat biscuits for that reason. But with cooking, you do have a lot of flexibility and you can, you know, Inter you can use ingredients interchangeably. And I think that goes a long way too, just in helping somebody with feeling like they can experiment in the kitchen. I think it's a really good point. And I completely agree with you. For me, baking is, I, I say it all the time, baking is alchemy. It's like science. You know, it's, it's, it's so regimented and even the steps of doing stuff. Like I've screwed up a, a loaf of bread before because I didn't, uh, I didn't fold it into itself enough times, which is stupid yeah. shame yeah. on you i know I, I i was like did i i honestly thought i was like was that five or six i'm like it's probably fine and then it didn't rise right and i was just pissed and that's the only thing i can assume that i did you know but but i agree with you all right cooking's like jazz you can kind of you know you can the what i like about cooking is i feel like you can backpedal your way out of screwing something up shy of adding too much salt you know for the most part if you've over seasoned one way you know you can add a different seasoning that'll help counterbalance stuff and and that's what's worked for me you know, honestly, I, I think I've been very fortunate because I grew up in a house where we did a lot of home cooking. And, you know, my parents were both, in my youth, my parents were basically like bodybuilders. They were just in really, really good shape and took good care of themselves. And, you know, my dad rode his bike 30 miles to work, like just really took good care. So we ate very cleanly, which for me almost had the opposite effect of food because I ate a lot of very healthy cooking growing up. So when I did have bad food, I just binged because we never had it. You know, I mean, junk food in my house was cheese sticks and applesauce. So, you know, where yeah. I took a complete opposite approach. So for me, where my wife kind of grew up the opposite of that, she ate, you know, food from a can because that's how her grandmother cooked. And, you know, they had pork chops, they were burnt. Like it was, there wasn't any real culinary, um, there wasn't any culinary expertise, but I also think there probably wasn't a lot of trying. They just knew what they knew. So that's what they made and that's what they ate. So for her, that's been my challenge is trying to find just that, trying to improve that aspect that healthy food can be good. You know, and, and for me, I'm also half tainted because I almost feel like I'm scarred where like, I'm very careful of like, try not to use too much oil. I try not to use too much butter. These things that in my mind, I think are very bad for you, which I, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think in 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 moderation, it's not so bad, but it's finding that balance. So it's not using a whole stick of butter probably when cooking chicken, probably, I guess. Although it would taste really good. I guess. How, how are you going to baste your, your, in your cast iron pan if you don't use a whole stick of butter? That's my problem. That's on, that, and that's part of why I think this podcast is so important is I look up, when I do look up recipes or I watch a, I'm, I'm not going to say the name of one, but it maybe rhymes with Sminging with smabish uh but <laughs> but on some of these youtube you know channels i watch a recipe and i look at it and they use you know they drop a stick of butter and they're like oh just put the rosemary on top and then add more butter and they start basting and doing this i'm going i don't know if that's 
how I want to eat. I mean, it's probably really delicious, but it just, it doesn't make me feel good. I, I know how I am and what makes me feel good. And that's something that I just don't particularly like. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me well. So. I think um, any kind of traditional cooking or ways of doing things right, quote unquote, according to chefs, probably has a little room for modification. I feel like every chef who listens to this is going to scream when I say that because they are going to tell me that's wrong. But I would think that there are reasons why we have substitutions and things that we can do to make things a little bit better for you if you're doing it on a regular basis. But I also think, you know, we're, in, we're going into the holidays right now, or maybe we're already through them by the time you're listening to this. But either way, I think that that time frame and those special meals and those special things that you do during that time frame, or even any time of year where it's like a traditional meal, I don't believe that you have to make those modifications. I don't think you're required to make everything healthier. You know, eat the food, enjoy it, and then you go back to your regular healthy eating. And if it requires, you know, using a whole four sticks of butter because you are making traditional foods on Thanksgiving Day, which I 99% sure is what I did. I, I'm pretty sure I used the most butter I've ever used in my life on that day. And I was only cooking for myself and one other person, but it's, I was making my grandmother's traditional rolls. I was making my mom's sweet potato casserole, like all of these things that to me are Thanksgiving. And if I had to make those healthier, it just wouldn't be the same. And so, somebody, somebody mentioned uh, a couple of years ago to me, they're like, it's not about, what you have between Thanksgiving and December or like your habits between Thanksgiving and December. It's what your habits are from, uh, from Christmas or December to Thanksgiving. You know, I was like, well, I guess I'm, you know, but it's, so it, I think it has a certain point to the moderation piece and not to hone in on, okay, this whole month I've been eating how I eat with my family on these, all these special occasions and then get completely off the rails uh, for the rest of the year or two years in some cases. <laughs> yeah, there's this thing called, it's called the what the hell effect. I, that is the actual term. I usually say what the heck effect where people will have this idea and mentality of, well, I already did this. So what the heck, I'll just keep on this path. And I think some people will fall into that during this time frame where it starts around Thanksgiving and they think, oh, what the heck, I'll just keep going with this. And every single day they have that mentality of January is coming. So I'll just start the diet in January. And I'm just going to say, I don't really care about the foods I'm choosing right now, how they make me feel, what my long-term health goals are, any of that. They just kind of throw all that out the window, continue on the path. And, and then think January 1st, they're going to start over or make up for it or something. Um, and then that probably falls off around the end of January and then the rest of the year is kind of is what it is. And so it's, I think breaking that mentality is really helpful when it, this time of year, especially and trying to just enjoy your foods, enjoy those meals. And then, you know, the majority of the time also try to incorporate the healthy foods and then Christmas or whatever holiday you're celebrating comes around, enjoy those traditional foods. And then the next day continue, you know, it's just, it's, it's life. That's the way it goes. You're always going to have, hopefully, we'll have many, many, many Thanksgivings and, and holidays in our future. And do you really want to do this cycle every single year? I, I mean, I, 
I wouldn't want to. So, so you're anti-meal prep, as you, you famously claimed. And what would be the differences between uh, meal prepping and meal planning? I think that's the key, the key term. I'm shaking my fist at that, for those of you who obviously won't see this. I'm, I I'm a that. big meal prepper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big meal prepper. But, my, but again, my, my thought behind that is I am kind of a caveman. I can make the same egg sandwich with egg whites and Canadian bacon and like low fat cheese and have I it every single that. morning. And that doesn't phase me. And I can have chicken, rice, and vegetables for lunch and throw a different hot sauce on it every single day for lunch. And it doesn't phase me and pack the same snack so long as I have some variety at dinner. I also know that I am not a normal person from that regard because my brother and I are both like that. We just got so accustomed to that, that for me, meal prep works. Oh, I hit the mic. I'm sorry. For me, meal prep works. I know it probably doesn't work for everybody. And that's the problem, which I, I'm, I'm sure you're going to get into it. But for me, that's my big thing. Yeah, I guess anti-meal prep is a pretty strong stance, but I do feel pretty strongly about it because you, Andre, are an exception. And there's, if you look at social media, there are so many different accounts with photos of their beautifully prepped meals and they spend, you know, however long on their Sunday afternoon preparing these prep meals. And if that works for someone, then I think go for it. But for most people and most of the people that I talk to, it is the most unrealistic expectation to spend hours on end on a single day prepping out a rainbow of meals that are essentially the same meal every day through the rest of the week. And that's just not a realistic thing to expect from anyone. So the alternative to that is what I would consider to be like meal planning. So instead of prepping where you're actually spending all this time doing that, you can have a plan going into the week. You can even do what I'm called mini, mini meal preps, like where you actually, if you're spending the time cooking something, like if you turn on the oven, you might as well cook a little extra chicken or cook a little extra of the roasted vegetables and package those up to use them in a meal the next day. Just separate them out from whatever you're doing that night. And that can be really helpful. But I think this expectation that you have like hours of your time that somebody just, you know, some people just don't have that. And then also that you're eating the same thing every day is yeah. just, you know, it's not ideal for most people. So that's why I'm anti-meal prep. No, I agree with you. I think I see a lot of people, especially uh, bodybuilders and, you know, strength, strength trainers, uh, they spend their entire Sunday prepping out the next six days of meals for themselves. And it's, this, it's the same thing. Um, I thought about doing that, but I can't get over the fact that I don't want to eat the same meal for the next six days. And a lot of times when I'm making food for my, myself and my wife, you know, we look in the fridge, we pull out our protein, which we've, we've maybe planned. And then we have a couple options for starches and vegetables and kind of work from there. I think you're, um, you're pretty famous for using what you have in your fridge and making it healthy. And I, I, I watch what you put on social media. I think, uh, I know you said you don't have formal training and you know your way around the kitchen at home, but I think you're a fantastic cook. I think all your stuff that you have posted, whether they're mistakes or not, they've always looked really great. And I know that they taste really good too. But I think if you were to step into the industry kitchen, you'd, you'd be able to hold your own as well. Um, That's the best compliment I've ever received. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's true. And I think, I think your perspective on how to meal plan 
um, and how you execute it is innovative versus what we see, or it's very different from what we see on social media. And obviously everything on Instagram is, is not real, you know, it's, it's edited or filtered in a certain way, but you have this raw approach of like, Hey, I have this, I have a can of these beans and I'm going to use them. Or I have, um, you know, this leftover chicken here as how I'm going to make uh, tacos out of it. Um, I think you have a really fresh approach into how people can kind of approach, uh, look at their leftovers or what they're making today and to turn it into what they can make tomorrow. Yeah, and it helps with diversity in the diet too. I, I do think that eating the same thing every single day for months and months on end is not necessarily positive from a nutrition standpoint mm -hmm. because we each food has different nutrients, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, especially when we're talking about plants specifically, you know, and then you have proteins, carbohydrates, fats, and those, the foods have different nutrients. That's just the way it is. So when you add diversity naturally to your diet and you're eating a variety of foods, a variety of colors, and you're getting a variety of sources of each of those, you know, like macronutrients, the carbs, fat, and protein, then you are helping to contribute to more diversity of nutrients in your diet too, which can have positive health benefits. So I think that there's something to be said for increasing that diversity in the diet, as well as giving yourself the flexibility to not have to spend your whole day meal prepping. So with that in mind and, and knowing that you can use those ideas in play at home, what kind of things do you recommend in the pantry? Um, so that's a really good question because I think having the stuff on hand is the first way to actually ensure that you can make healthy meals. Uh, I always will gravitate to pantry staples like any kind of whole grain. I especially love the quick cooking whole grains because I'm busy. A lot of the people I work with are busy. They don't want to spend an hour cooking rice, I mean, to be right. totally honest. So quick cooking whole grains can be beneficial. That can be like the ones that are either microwavable, like in a little packet, or even there's like 10 minute whole grains that you can pick up that are just parboiled that are in smaller bags. Um, canned beans are a really great thing too, because they're quick and a source of protein, fiber, definitely a really easy way to add in some plant-based protein in your diet if you are looking for that. So um, I also recommend having fat sources that are shelf stable. So I usually keep them in the fridge. So technically, I guess they're not shelf stable, but things like nuts and seeds can be really beneficial too, just for adding in additional fat and fiber into meals. And then like your plant-based oils, of course, always going to be a good thing to have on hand. And if you're moving into freezer or fridge, I definitely think having frozen vegetables, and I'm not talking about vegetables that have been like seasoned already, but just like straight frozen fruits and vegetables are just really easy when you are in a pinch for a vegetable. I typically recommend that people include a vegetable wherever they can in their meals. So having something available that you don't have to prep, like if you think about a bag of like frozen peppers and onions, that's easy when it comes to making something like fajitas or enchiladas and you can easily put those, you know, into, I do a lot of stir fry type things. So that can be really beneficial. And you, the same can go for like frozen meats too. So I know that it's not always ideal to, to have the frozen meats all the time, but I do think it can be great to have that as a staple. And then 
I'm a big fan of like convenience sauces. So there, I know most of the time people almost demonize the like processed foods. And in some instances, ultra processed foods are things that we should be limiting in our diet, things that have added sugar, a lot of added sodium. But we, the food industry also has a lot of just healthy, convenient options. So you can make comparisons and find things that are really easy, almost as like meal starters. So like, for example, I'm on this, uh, I guess I'm talking about tacos and enchiladas a lot, but like enchilada sauce, I am not making that from scratch. Like no. that's just not <laughs> happening. So I tried I'm, once, it was terrible. Yeah, I think I did it once and it was fine. But I also have found some really great enchilada sauce jars that you know you find the one that's lower in sodium you get one that you know fits with what you have available to you and that's a really great thing it's kind of the same thing with like tortillas it's great to make tortillas from scratch but a lot of people don't have time for that so picking up tortillas that you know are higher in fiber and maybe made with whole grains like those things can be really helpful i gotta look james when i said higher in fiber but <laughs> so yeah, I've looked into yeah. the higher fiber tortillas. There, there's a lot of fiber in those tortillas. <laughs> the <laughs> the, the store bought ones. It's like 11, 11 grams for like a, an eight eight to ten yeah. inch one. And I was like, well, you know, do I want to? We have a toilet paper shortage in this in this world right now, so I don't know if we want to contribute <laughs> well, to that. They're only fifty or sixty calories, <laughs> and just don't make a quesadilla out of it. <laughs> Because but the well, too. you yeah. could just get the ones that are naturally a source of fiber, like made with whole grains and not ones that have added fiber. Because that's a different story. I so guess. Andre and I, Andre and I are, grew up on white rice and beans and, you know, fried eggs. Whole grains, what, what would you recommend for somebody that's in our boat to have a whole grain? What would whole grain look like in replacement of white rice? So I don't think you have to replace white rice. I think that there are, um, yeah. Yeah, best news ever. Yeah. Yeah, and the reason for that is if you think about, we have to consider cultural aspects of our food and traditional foods. And while whole grains might be higher in fiber than other non-whole grains, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to make 100% of your grains whole grains. And if you eat white rice and you enjoy eating white rice and that's a part of a traditional meal for you or it's a part of what you're used to, then eat the white rice. Um, 100% okay. I think where we really run into issues with the grains, especially the processed grains, are ones that, you know, are highly processed and there's a lot of added sugar in them. That's where the big concern is. It's not necessarily about white rice versus brown rice. Just eat the rice you like to eat and, you know, move on. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think a big piece, and you, you've touched on it too, about your, uh, really your background to it, because I found that I did not grow up eating brown rice at all. Even yellow rice was a, a complete rarity. So for the most part, I ate white rice. Brown rice actually took me a very long time to get used to. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's because of the fiber content, because I ate a lot of beans and that was always a fine thing. You know, I ate beans, I ate vegetables, but we did not eat a lot of brown rice and brown rice, same thing kind of doesn't necessarily agree with me really well or just doesn't settle well. And my brother and I, when we lived together in college, we would buy everything in bulk because we were cheap and poor. So we decided, hey, we'll, we'll make the switch to brown rice. It's probably a health, healthier alternative. And we bought this massive bag that took forever for us to burn through, but it also took probably a week or two for us to 
to like digestively be comfortable with it. You know, I just felt like bloated. I felt uncomfortable. And, you know, now occasionally I have brown rice, but when I do, I mix it with white rice. I I find that balance of where maybe it doesn't impact me so bad or it tastes a little bit more like white rice. Um, But yeah, I think that's, you really hit the nail on the head on that, right? Trying to stay true in some regard to your, the way that you naturally eat. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I think, first of all, there's no magic to brown rice versus white rice. I mean, nutritionally, they're actually very similar. Um, but I, I, where I would kind of think about this is I talk a lot about like putting carbohydrates on like a spectrum. And so carbohydrates are found in grains, obviously whole grains, as well as refined grains, dairy, fruit, beans, it's in all of those foods. But then you also can think about the other end of that spectrum of highly processed, high sugar, um, higher sodium, uh, sources of refined carbohydrates, like, Mm -hmm sugar cereals, uh, a lot of like the sweets and and sugar sweetened beverages and that sort of thing. And so white rice is, it's a grain. It's very much on that side of the spectrum where it's, it's going to be nutritionally very similar to the brown rice. And it's not necessarily something that we should be really concerned about. And it has, there are cultures built on that being a staple food. And I don't, there's no reason that we need to quote unquote, like healthify that in a way. Um, Because there's, probably not that much of a nutritional difference. But when we're talking about some of these processed things, I really would rather, like the processed grains, I would rather uh, focus a little bit more on that other end of the spectrum of trying to limit some of these ultra processed foods that are not whole grains that align with, you know, like with the higher sugar and the higher sodium, higher fat options. Um, That's where there's more of a concern. And I think, unfortunately, the nuance of like, the white rice, brown rice conversation really clouds the fact that let's just put all of the grains. If you're eating a grain like that, like if you're eating a quinoa rice of any kind, um, wild rice, any any of that, if you're eating that, that is 100% always a better choice from a nutrition standpoint than like potato a highly chips. processed, what? Than potato chips. Yeah, like a highly processed refined grain, right? So, yeah. um, it's like, it just sometimes I think we can get really caught up in the, the nuance and it's confusing in a lot of ways. There's Got a it. big trend in the States here with low fat dressings, low fat processed foods, and they're marketed really well for dietary um, people or not dietary people, but like for diets and for these fat diets. But a lot of times these low fat items ha- are, are loaded with sugar to make up for the flavor. This famously uh, flavor is, is delivered by fat for the most part. And you take that away, how else are you going to get some flavor, right? So uh, the things like low fat dressings or low fat mayo, or if you, you, you know, if, uh, and I want to get your opinion on these things as far as like alternating and using substitutions for your pantries or when you're cooking, but they're loaded with other things to make up for the lack of, of, of that nutrient or that flavor. Yeah. Well, this is often what happens when you start replicate or trying to replicate certain flavors, like you said, so you have to make up for it somehow. And typically that's with in low fat instance, that's with added sugar and refined carbs, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I think of snack wells, 
whenever we have this type of conversation um, that because that was really popular those were really popular for all of the low fat craze um, and the research shows that it isn't necessarily a, it's not about the fat total as much I mean we do need to have fat within um, a certain percentage and it's different for everyone so I wouldn't want to give an exact percentage but it is important to consider fat like your total fat intake but the type of fat that you're eating is even more important yeah. so unsaturated fat is going to be a better source than saturated fat so unsaturated fats are like from plant oils and avocado and fish and nuts and seeds, whereas saturated fat is from um, like high fat red meats or processed meats, uh, you know, high fat dairy, like we mentioned butter and that sort of thing. Um, but you can still have a combination of those two, but the majority should be unsaturated fats. So when you start to swap fats versus replacing them with sugar, that's much more beneficial for you the swapping of them than it is for that it is to replace them with sugar. So the negative health outcomes of taking a fat and removing it from a food and replacing it with refined carbohydrates and sugar are much more uh, significant than if you take a fat and swap it for a better type of fat. I hope that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. I, li I really, I like how you explain that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, on that's really, I mean, fat is beneficial for taste satiety uh it's required in our bodies for the absorption of certain nutrients like fat soluble vitamins so we need fat in the diet and it what shouldn't be brains work with with fat soluble vitamins what was I that think our, our brains I, I think i i read somewhere where our, our our brains basically work on the fat soluble vitamins yeah i mean our brains require a lot of energy and they require um the heart healthy fats are good for our brains as well, um, as well as you know glucose is primary energy source for our brains too. So there is a reason why fat needs to exist in the diet um, for a lot of things: brains, heart, cardiovascular function. Just the fact that we need fat in our bodies for the protection of organs, insulation, that sort of thing as well. Um, and it's a significant source of energy. So definitely an important thing to not demonize, but everyone has differences when it comes to how much fat they should be eating. I, of course, am going to always recommend that you talk with a dietitian, but if that isn't of access to you, then there's a lot of really great information that you can find like from the Dietary Guidelines for Americans on this. And I know that those often get kind of there's a lot of controversy about them but unfortunately a lot of that controversy is misguided and it's important to consider that that is a really good source of information when it comes to our diets so speaking of diets and, and maybe outside of just the eating part of it what about what do you think about intermittent fasting a lot of people have been doing it for quite a bit of time now and it's been really popular i think it's one of the diets if you will without saying what you can and can't eat but it's now when you can and can't eat yeah so research is showing on intermittent fasting that it isn't superior to a, just a standard calorie restricted diet so if you intermittent fasting essentially is a way to restrict calories and a lot of the uh there's a lot of claims about aging and that sort of thing that are just not 
grounded in science. Mm -hmm. But if you put groups side by side who have followed a calorie restricted diet and those who have followed intermittent fasting, the results for weight loss specifically are very similar. There's, and so it really then comes down to, are you doing intermittent fasting for weight loss? And if you are, then if it works for you, it might be a good choice. If you are wanting just to follow a calorie restricted diet and do that instead, then that's gonna be beneficial as well if you can stick to it. So there was a really interesting study about intermittent fasting recently and the negative impact on muscle and that there could potentially be muscle loss associated with intermittent fasting. So really, um, yeah. And I think the reasons for that aren't really clear, but there was a connection with the group that was doing intermittent fasting and then muscle loss. And just as a blanket statement, I'll say weight loss doesn't just mean fat loss. So oftentimes the understanding of weight loss is that you're only losing percentages of body fat. And that's not accurate. You will lose some lean mass as well. Right. How much you lose has a lot to do with, are you doing strength training? Are you eating a balanced diet? Are you getting enough protein? So those things are going to be really key if you're trying to lose weight. And protein, consistent eating it consistently throughout the day can also be very beneficial just to lean muscle mass maintenance. And also if you're doing resistance training, having protein timed around that resistance training to, to give your body what it needs to help with re rebuilding and repairing muscle is also important. So you really do have to think about if it's, if the number that you're chasing on a scale, you know, what are the, what are the consequences to getting to that number and how, what is it that you're taking out of your diet and how is that actually impacting your, your body? Because the number on a scale is only telling you one part. It's not telling you if you're losing that weight from muscle mass or if you're losing it from fat mass, it's not right. telling you that, right? So it's just something to consider. And, and for somebody like me who I'm a late night snacker, um, in your, in your perspective in the, the world, in your nutritional world, what would someone, what should someone reach for if they're like, Oh, I'm up at, you know, 10 o'clock at night and I want something to eat. Um, and all I have is, you know, gummy, the fruit gummies for the Mott's gummies or um, cheat, cheat, shredded cheese out of a bag and into a tortilla. What do you recommend for somebody uh, to think about, or at least meal plan for something like that, knowing that that's their habit? Um, well, late night snacking usually does mean eating things that are probably not the best choice, like you're mentioning. So sometimes like having, it, we tend to eat more sweets and higher fat things like at late at night for whatever reason. Um, so if you are somebody who snacks late at night, then I would just try to balance it out a little bit. Try to get a combination. So you're getting some protein and fat, or you're getting, you know, a vegetable or fruit and, you know, a, a protein. So try to get that combination. I also think I would ask, are you actually hungry? You know, is it a hunger thing or is it a habit thing? And if it's a hunger thing, then you maybe aren't eating enough during the day. And so can you shift how you're eating throughout the day? Like if you're eating late at night and that's impacting whether or not you are feeling hungry in the morning, and then most of your calories tend to be later in the day and in the evening, then you might want to kind of slowly start to cut back on what you're eating at night so that you can eat a better breakfast and balance it out a little bit more. Because eating late at night 
oftentimes can just lead to eating more calories, right. which is why it's demonized when it comes to weight loss. And then going so, to bed after you eat all those calories, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that can also potentially interrupt sleep. Some people might get heartburn or not feel well. So, you know, I, it's just, it, it's not that there's like some magic to a certain cutoff at night where yeah. it's like, eight o'clock comes and at 801, you know, that cupcake suddenly has more calories. Like that's not, somebody recently, a dietitian recently posted something about this on um, social media, I think just on Twitter or somewhere, but it's like, no, the calories are the same. There's no magic to this time frame. It's more just about what are you eating in total? And if you're eating late at night and that means that you're eating more calories, then that's why it's associated with weight gain. So yeah, so I would just be a little bit more mindful about it because if, especially if you're eating like in front of the tv and next thing you know you've had a whole bag of chips like you know it's guilty. a mindfulness thing yeah guilty as charged yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely you know it's funny i think i'd live what everyone um secretly <laughs> doesn't tell other people and i'm like yeah like i do that like i i'll sit there and eat a whole bag of chips and, and what's what's frustrating is i'm a chef and i can in theory, I could sit here and plan and meal prep and meal plan all these things and be like really in honed with what like I want to do and how I want to treat myself. But like at the end of the day, it's just old habits that want to resurface and come up and say, oh, you know what, like that, you know, make the, make a quesadilla before it's, you know, before it's midnight because you're still up. Well, you know, okay. That kind of stuff. And that's what, that's what gets me. Um, and I, I, I'm not ashamed to say it because it's the life that I've been living for quite some time. Um, and, and I think it's a, it's a curse and um, a blessing to, to know how to cook because <laughs> I can make whatever I want, you know, with whatever, yeah. whatever I can find. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would just start with asking if you're actually hungry because sometimes people don't eat enough throughout the day and they make up for it late at night and they really truly are hungry. Sometimes it is not hunger at all and it's just a habit and it's something that they are used to associating eating tv or eating tv they're used to associating watching tv <laughs> with eating yeah well i think those you tv know? dinners are, are big are a big influence on that and the one and you know back in you know the 70s and 80s maybe in the early 90s you'd have like the little tray that would open up and everyone would sit in front of the tv and eat oh, it yeah. um and i you know i grew up in that time as well um and and you know, we live, our kitchen is an open kitchen. Now we have the, the TV is like right where the kitchen is. I'm like, well, okay, I guess we'll do this. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, no, I think that's a great perspective on, on changing those habits and looking at what we're looking at, uh, you know, to, to, to look at healthy eating. Um, do you have any, you do a lot of home cooking and you do a lot of spontaneous home cooking with what you have. And I think you do a great job with the healthy cooking do you have any like hacks or tricks that you know or have come to like are are the ones you go to for you know when you do these cooking these cooking items? That's a really good question. I think one of the biggest things is I have learned that I can make like a hundred different meals just out of a skillet. Yeah. And it's really just like layering different it's usually some sort of vegetable, some sort of protein, and then some sort of grain. And it just, you can do a million different things with that. And I cook a lot of 
vegetarian meals. Um, so for me, I can use just one skillet because I am, you know, most of the, the proteins I'm using don't necessarily need to have like a separate pan for cooking and that sort of thing. Um, so those single pan meals are probably like my go-to when it comes to healthier, healthier foods. But as far as like hacks go, that's such a, you might've stumped me on this one. I'm trying to think if there's anything that I... So I have a little bit of a trick or slash hack and something we do here because I don't intentionally meal prep or plan, but you know, Publix has BOGO on chicken breasts. So I'll buy a ton of it. And um, usually it's, you know, obviously it's just Danielle and I, I'll cook all eight breasts that come in this package and we will eat like one and a half maybe. And the rest go to like a stir fry or the rest go to like a pasta bake or, you know, whatever other purpose that we can have. So diversifying how we make, how we cook our items to make it easier for people. Cause I think meal prepping for people that don't understand meal prepping might be a little confusing. You can mainstream, you can like streamline a lot of things when it comes to, uh, you know, those, those items, especially the, your, your major player in your dish, whether it's a pasta or, or a broccoli or, you know, a chicken. So one thing I think is really great about culinary training is the fact that you learn how to prevent food waste. And that's something that is a challenge with just in general, I think in the US it's like 40% of the food that's produced is wasted. And I know, I know I'm guilty of throwing out vegetables that I haven't used or, you know, other leftovers or foods that I haven't used. And it's the worst feeling. I hate that. I always am so proud of myself when I can combine things to not have food waste and actually use it up. It's like the best feeling ever. But I, I think that skill is really important for healthy cooking too, because yeah. it plays into the budget aspect. It plays into, I think, just, you know, being a conscious consumer of food as well. So James, I'm going to flip this on you, but like, do you have any tips on food waste and how to repurpose things and how you can cut back on food waste? Yeah, I think um, if you're prepping from scratch at home, there's a big opportunity in making, and, and this is like the, the really low, app, the, picking the low apple on the tree. Um, but if you want to make stocks and sauces out of the, the shavings and the trimmings and the pieces of it, um, that would be a great way to start. Uh, we have, Andre and I started a, a smaller uh, episode called Trimmings. And we talk a little bit about you know, important information and things that are valuable and things that have uh, uh, the best parts of cooking, we would like to say. And I think when we were, let's say, take a piece of meat and we start cutting certain pieces off it to make it uniform or make it the shape that it needs to be or cutting a little bit of the fat off, those trimmings usually go to waste, but they're very important. So what we can do is take those items and either make a hamburger out of them if it's a couple of different pieces of meat that has has muscle in it that's that's still usable. Um, but at the end of the day, lowering your waist is obviously your biggest proponent. And understanding how you can understand the versatility of of certain proteins, of certain starches and vegetables is a big one. And I think cross utilization, like we talked about, making let's say chicken. Uh, for a couple of days and making it in different recipes as a start. But let's say you make uh, rice 
and uh, you wanted to do uh, jasmine rice and broccoli and steak, something real simple, and, and you know, or chicken and something real lean. And now you have all this jasmine rice left over. So take that rice, cool it down, and now you can make fried rice the next day. So and you're not going to throw it away. You can use it for that. There's a lot of opportunities to utilize these ingredients in other recipes, especially as quote unquote leftovers or reheatables, if you'd like. So I can say for me, as a, as a non-chef, those are the most appealing things. Because I, I can tell you, I've tried to make a stock once, like a vegetable stock with leftovers from something I was making, and it just tasted like hot, dirty carrot water. <laughs> and that's me being as generous as possible. I, it was horrendous. Yeah. It's yeah, so yeah. bad. But I'd much rather, I'd be more interested in learning just like you said, with like fried rice, like I make, there's always, always leftover rice in my house and I'll just reheat it up. But that idea of taking it and throwing it into a fried rice with whatever I've got in my freezer seems like a much more appealing option. And, you know, I know we talked about the, the meal prepping aspect, but that's something that I do occasionally try and do is if I'm making something, I'll make two different recipes with that item. So if it's chicken, I'll make maybe fajitas with one and then I make a chicken and rice stir fry or something, whatever it may be, but I'd make two totally different items with it because then it, I, I fool myself with variety so I can make myself something healthier. And then it doesn't feel like I'm just a like cow grazing somewhere eating the same patch of grass every single day. Sometimes it's about like the creativity of it too. So I know I'll just often Google you know, recipes using whatever ingredients. So it might be recipes using sweet potato, recipes using Brussels sprouts. Because mm. I, I have a giant bag of Brussels sprouts in my fridge I love right now. Brussels sprouts. They're so good. Yeah. Except I cooked them last night and then my apartment smelled like Brussels sprouts all night. And that was just <laughs> not ideal. But, you know, it's nice to have, there's so many good resources online. And it's just like lists and lists of all these different recipes that use a single ingredient. So that can really help with like getting ideas as well. Mm. I don't really have a go-to website for that, but other than Google. I have, I have a Yoma's number. So I'll just text yeah. him and say, you know, yeah, well maybe what, everybody just needs to text him. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the beauty of the podcast. You know, you guys have a leftover item and you don't know what to do with it. You know, email Yoma's cooking cast at gmail.com and We'll put James to work. You know, I don't think he needs to sleep. So it's my personal yeah. opinion. I like that idea. I'm going to, I'm going to start directing people to um, when I get questions, we'll see, we'll see what happens. We're volunteering you for things, James. Great. Yeah. If I, I want people to start emailing you and saying like, I have half a bag of frozen corn, <laughs> two turnips and you know, we should, we should, we should put our, our brains together and make an app. Says, this is what I have in my fridge. What can I make out of it? That's not a terrible I idea. Would, I would use that app all day <laughs> if you made it. I fully uh, support this idea. I think I think all of those ideas would come out of you, though, Allison. You're, you're fantastic at those things. I don't know. I've got some stuff. I was just saying I, I have this giant bag of Brussels sprouts that I need to use. So if you have any recommendations, send them my way. <laughs> I'm running out of ideas. I just roast them, and that's it. And that's all I know how to do. With I do the same thing. But now I just say, uh, frittata? Everything just sends its way into a frittata now. We did an egg episode yeah. <laughs> and Yoman mentioned a frittata and I did these like little cup frittatas. And since, no joke, since we recorded that episode, I think I've made this recipe to do 10, 15 times and just any random vegetable that's left in my fridge, I just throw in with some cheese and Greek yogurt and mix it all together and make, you know, make my custard. And so far they've all been pretty good. 
Brussels sprouts in a frittata does not sound appealing to me. I have to be honest. Yeah. How bad could it really be? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. That's the beauty of cooking. <laughs> That's true. If I try well, to let you know. Well, it, it would be a good opportunity to put uh, for, uh, you know, crustless frittata recipe in the podcast description for healthy recipe ideas. I think that'd be a smart idea to do. Yeah, veggies at breakfast are, too. I like veggies at breakfast. That's a good idea. Veggies at breakfast. That's great. Yeah, that's a good one too. I do too. I think Southwest, so Southwest omelets are very underrated in my opinion, right? It's like every vegetable imaginable that you end up adding this thing and then you like throw salsa on top, which salsa pretty much makes almost everything shy of cereal better. I would agree with that. So Allison, what are your thoughts about substituting oils with sprays? And and, in in our pantry episode, I talk about... Um, I say that they're not a big deal as far, you know, I'm not going to, if they're within what you want to do and within your budget, by all means, like, you know, use them. But as a, you know, in a nutritional perspective, what do you, what do you think about like sprays? Um, I mean, obviously you're getting less usually if you're using a spray. So that's kind of the thought behind it is you're getting less oil and it has more, it has more surface area when you use it. So it's e- it's a little bit easier to use if you're trying to coat a pan or something or like like muffin tins, you know? Um, so there's a benefit from like an ease of use standpoint, but nutritionally, it is just about getting a little bit less is the reason why. So most of those are gonna be like a vegetable oil is the spray that you're using, um, maybe with a few exceptions. I don't know if there are any sprays that aren't there might be a spray that's made out of like coconut oil, which wouldn't be an ideal substitution um, as opposed to like olive oil or mm-hmm. avocado oil or sesame oil or some other type of plant oil. Um, but I, I personally don't use them mostly because I always forget to buy them and I just use oil. Um, so if you're looking to cut back, just use a little bit less. You can also you know, get a nonstick pan or something like that that helps. Um, but yeah, what, I don't think it's a requirement. What about the spray butters? That's where I am a hundred percent guilty. And James is nodding his head so violently. No, I do this all the time. If I make a little English muffin, I'll do my like. I know. grew up on those little spray butters, and and I I was like, oh, this tastes great. And then the, the further along I got into the industry, it's just homon, homogenized oils. It's just tons of chemicals. It's um, it can't be good for you. Oh yeah, there's yeah. there's. There's a point of your sperm count. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently I'm not using enough then. (laughs) Oh man, I'm going to plead the fifth on that that comment. I think spray butter is different than spray oil. So spray oil is going to be usually just like sprayed oil. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just oil that you spray, right? I think there's probably some other aerosol in there, of course, to make it spray. But spray butter is I don't, is it actually real butter i don't oh, know no absolutely not it's it's a it's vegetable oil it's vegetable oil it's with like a coloring in it or something yeah. yeah i mean you know how much are you using i guess is the question and if you are like dumping an entire bottle of your spray butter on your food and you're going through multiple of them a day then probably not the best choice like you know but oh no you could also just eat butter <laughs> eat it a little bit less. I, I don't know. I need to look at the ingredients of spray butter. To be honest, it doesn't sound good to me though. 
it's, it's more or less the same thing that's on the back of like a paint can. Um, but it's yeah. well, there's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> but it does well, and I figured I'd ask because you know there's I've seen some. So for instance, I try not to judge too much. I follow a lot of uh, weightlifting people on Instagram. There's one who is a registered dietitian nutritionist, and he talks about that's a, an alternative that he uses as spray butter. And I'm, you know, I, I'm always on the fence about it because I know that it's super fake. You know, I, I know that there's nothing about it that's natural. You know, I, I, I know how butter's made, so I feel a little more comfortable about that. I have no idea how spray butter's made, so that causes some anxiety for me. So I, I try to not use too, too much of it, but, you know, it's really easy where if I don't want to use a pad of butter or something with vegetables to jazz them up, you throw in like, you know, 10 little spritz and then you throw some Parmesan cheese or something on top. And then it feels like a healthier alternative. I just, you know, I figured I'd get the opinion of somebody who actually has an idea of what's healthy. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily going to be something you should be concerned about. If you like the taste of spray butter, then fine. I would do that. But if you want to flavor foods without having to get spray butter, then you can also do things like herbs and citrus and, you know, different other natural seasonings that mm. can be beneficial too. Um, you know, and you might find that that accomplishes the same thing with the flavor. And then also you don't have to use the spray butter for it, but I, I just need to familiarize myself with spray butter ingredients. I don't know. So I can't really speak to it necessarily because I don't know the actual ingredients of spray butter. No, I, I, I think you brought up a really good point. The, I've never thought about adding a citrus or anything like that to, you know, or fruit juice or, or natural juice or citrus juice or something to a vegetable item, which would make a lot of sense. And it probably would add a lot more flavor or natural herbs instead of me like spritzing my, yeah. you know. <laughs> Well, and like herb blends, the especially like the salt-free herb blends are really great. I don't know if James is uh, going to judge me for using something like that, but like dried, dried herb salt. blends and spices. What? I love salt. Well, I, I mean, salt obviously is good too, and but I mean, if you're wanting to add flavor without necessarily adding fat or salt, that might be an option. And there's right. a lot of really good, just different seasonings, especially if you get really high quality seasonings too that can be helpful just for the flavor as well. So Allison, outside of joining us in this podcast, you have quite an awesome personal business going on. Yeah. So I, I do, I work with endurance athletes. Sometimes I call them everyday athletes because I don't necessarily work directly like with pros. It's more the everyday person who is out doing really awesome stuff like the Ironmans and half Ironmans and marathons, half marathons, all of those kind of endurance sports. Um, so I really enjoy that and I offer one-on-one -on -one counseling as well as a membership, the a New Well Sports Nutrition Membership, which is a more affordable offering where it's a low price monthly membership and you get access to a membership portal along with a private Facebook group where you can ask questions and join others who are also, you know, trying to work towards the same goals that you might be. And then we do live sessions. So I'll have every month two live sessions, one with me and one with an expert in the field, maybe a chef in the future. It's your official invite for that. Um, but yeah, so just, yeah, so having, uh, having people come in and talk about different topics, whether it's 
um, healthy holiday eating, which is something that we did recently, or it's um, how high intensity exercise impacts your stress response. Like just, you know, all kinds of different topics and people who are experts in those different areas. So it's, it's been good. It's a nice, uh, nice group and a nice way to, to connect with people who are looking for more guidance on nutrition when it comes to their performance. Because if you're out doing an Ironman or a half Ironman, you definitely need to nail your nutrition. It's very important. That's awesome. I, I'm not doing an Ironman or a half Ironman or a quarter Ironman or any of any sort. I'll watch Ironman. Yeah. I am a member of your um, a, new, a New Well Nutrition, Sports Nutrition, and we'll put a, a link to your website onto the description if anyone's interested in going to see it. But you're right. I think the everyday athlete is people like Andre, who's a weightlifter every day of the week, and he's constantly trying to get past his personal record. Andre is, does a ton of weightlifting, and I think he... But somehow I'm still very weak. <laughs> you think you're weak, but I think with your the, with Allison's help, you're going to get a heck of a lot stronger. That's my goal. <laughs> no, but you're right, and I think you know. I, I hate to say it, but and it's contradicting to what everything we talked about. But starting January, I'm going to start lifting weights again. You know? Yes, yes. I'm so happy about that. It's, it's pretty easy for me to gain some muscle mass, not drop body fat but muscle mass but i'll definitely be picking your brain because i am a member using your using those resources are going to be very important to me well and Alice, I'm, i think such a great resource that you have on there too as you mentioned that you've got a community right and i think that's really is such a part of the hardest thing about lifting in my opinion besides the the physical lifting part right which is a little challenging is it's mental, right? It's getting past the mental roadblocks of keeping going. And there are some days where you just don't want to do it. There are days you don't want to wake up and do it. There are days you don't want to eat healthy, right? Every day is not a perfect day. And some days are harder. And I think having that community, having that environment of people who are going through what you're going through, who have similar goals, who want that self-improvement, having that as a resource makes such a difference. I can't even tell you how many times that, you know, my brother's a, a trainer and he's, he's in, He's, I would say, a much stronger uh, weightlifter than I am. But he's somebody that if I text him and say, hey, you know, I just don't feel like this today. And he'll, he's the one that really is good about hyping me up to say, go try this, right? Go do this today. Even if you're going to do one, one rep or one set, go do this. I think having that community drive along with those resources that you offer is, is um, it's invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. People can learn from each other and have that peer support too. So yeah, I totally agree. It's really helpful. Awesome. I think that's a wrap. Yeah. Allison, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. We really, really appreciate your insight. We appreciate, you know, your, your rose colored glasses, as you said yourself, right? And for those of you who are listening, if you want to hear more about Allison and what she offers, you can always email her or go to her website at anywell.co. There you go. Thank uh, you for having me. Absolutely. When, if, if you guys have any feedback, any questions, comments, uh, you want to hear more from Allison, you want us to pass along, you can always send us an email at yomascookingcast at gmail.com. And hey, thanks for listening.
By the way, when you tell me if you're if you should lift something or if you're too tired, I'm always on the the side of like go take a nap. <laughs> yeah, every single time, time I'm like, oh, I don't want to work. You know, it'd be five thirty, and Yoma's the only other human being awake, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to lift weights today. Yoma's like, so don't. You should have donuts. Like, <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't tell me like, that. Oh, yeah.